0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear, Prudence.
1: Dear, Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show, once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Jamie Schuler. I'm very excited for all of you to get to hear how Jamie and I tackle the problems of the world. Jamie is, among other things, uh, my ex girlfriend uh, who lives and works in Los Angeles, and whenever I'm in town and we are both free, we go to Panera Bread and eat sandwiches and catch up, and it's fantastic. And I wanted to share the moment that I knew Jamie was going to be a very important part of my life. It had to do with a book that I thought might have been a fever dream. So a lot of you might be familiar with the author V.C. Andrews. She wrote a lot of really purpley prose written. Smut, I guess. Gothic smut, uh, I think, is probably the best way to describe her in the 1970s and 80s. She was very mysterious, very reclusive. She died at some point in the 80s, and her estate hired a ghostwriter to continue on writing her many, many books. So she's still publishing today, even though she is long dead. Um, And probably the most famous one of her books, which has been adapted for uh, TV movies at least twice, is called Flowers in the Attic. It's a very upsetting book. It is about a very strange family with a lot of secrets. A group of children get locked in an attic. Uh, some of the children fall in love. They are also siblings. It's it's weird. It's a weird book, but it sold millions of copies. It was hugely popular. And a lot of people have memories of reading those books as as young people sort of passing it around like, hey, here's a racy book. We don't have internet porn yet, so so go to page 88 or whatever. That's not how I came to Flowers in the Attic. I was rollerblading around my neighborhood the summer after sixth grade. Uh, there was a, a, a garage sale weekend that weekend. Like, almost every house in town was having a garage sale at the same time. So I was just having a grand old time rollerblading badly up and down the streets of Hoffman Estates, buying things with quarters. And I saw this book and it was one of those older books with like a keyhole cover. You know, the front has like a big scary house and you can see through to somebody's face and then you open the book and there's another picture behind it of sort of like more mysterious, scary things going on. And this book was called Flowers in the Attic. And I thought, that sounds exciting. This is a cool mystery, like goosebumps. So I bought it for, I believe, a quarter, uh, rollerbladed my little old 12-year-old self on back home um, and I started to read it. Uh, Again, I really want to stress, it is a a very disturbing book uh, about children who are locked in an attic uh, and then develop incestuous feelings for one another. Um, So about 150 pages in, I started to think, okay, is this what adult sexuality is? Is this like how people do sex? Is this is this what I have to look forward to in the future? Uh, and I just couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. So I I actually knocked on my parents' door in the middle of the night. I handed them this book that they'd never seen before. And I just said with like a thousand yard stare, I don't think I should have this. And they were just sort of like, oh, all right. And I think they threw it away. And And I tried to forget. I tried never to think about it again cut to, you know, 10 years later. uh, I've just started seeing Jamie. I go over to her house. I'm looking through her bookshelves while she's making dinner, because that's what you do when you're starting to date someone. You creepily look through the books that they own and judge them accordingly. Um, And I see flowers in the attic. And I am all of a sudden struck with this sense memory of, oh, God, it's real. Because I tried, listeners, very hard to forget that I had ever read half of that book. Uh, at, At 12, it was too soon. I was... Seven years away from kissing another human being. I was not ready for VC Andrews brand of really weird sexuality. And I just lost it. I was so excited. I was like, I can't believe this book is real. I can't believe you own it. We were clearly meant to be together. Someday I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to ask you to be my guest on the show. That part I did not say. Um, and I, I like, yelled at Jamie until she came in the room and I was like, Where did you get that book? Uh, and she told me not only did she own the book, she owned all the sequels. And I said, There are sequels? And there were. And I finally felt ready to enjoy these very strange, very upsetting books on their own terms. Um, and we actually ended up reading through the entire series, reading to one another. Uh, and it was the best and most, uh, you know, healing experiences of my life to, to return to these books, finally ready as an adult to accept them as the very, very strange, messy piles of nonsense that they are. Uh, and on that note, I want to welcome Jamie to the show. Jamie Shuler is my ex-girlfriend and a member of the music industry who lives and works in Los Angeles. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am really excited that you could be here today. I have an important question. Is your dog Toby with you?
1: He is lying right here on
0: the floor. That makes me very happy. As soon as we are done recording, please send me eight pictures of his face. I will. I was at rehearsal for a show I'm doing later this summer, and I had to bring my dog Murphy, and I had him tied up outside at first, and then I brought him inside, and it really distracted us for mm, the whole rest of rehearsal.
1: Yeah, that would be distracting. It's distracting to me, thinking
0: about it right now. I'm also distracted. I wish we could stop this whole thing right now and just go play with our dogs, but... Alas, we cannot. We have to answer people's questions because, Jamie, the people need us. Without us, they are lost, um, and we cannot abandon our post. Let's help so them. The subject? Let's do help them. The subject line of our first letter is Girls just want to have fun, parentheses, demental respect, end parentheses. Dear Prudence, unlike many of my post grad peers, I've been extremely fortunate to have landed a job at a great company in my field right out of college. One of my main responsibilities in my current position was to develop and manage a training program as a tool for our sales department. My boss and I spent the last year developing this program, and we recently brought on another guy, John, to our tiny department to work on other projects. Recently, one of my colleagues sent a company-wide email with a glowing recommendation for the program I'd helped create, and a heartfelt thank you for all the work done by my boss and John. Is there a tactful way to set the record straight? I honestly wasn't expecting sole recognition, and I don't think that my colleague meant to snub me in front of the whole company. But it stings that John is getting credit for all of my hard work. Mm. Has this ever happened to you? I
1: mean, has someone else ever gotten credit for my work? Yes. I think that's something that that happens. And I think this is um, hard, but there's so many good things in here, like the job and that the program works. And Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like this person should be proud of their program and maybe just talk to their boss about it.
0: Right. Rather than correct anybody, you mean? Right. I mean,
1: that's just it's just an email that he sent out versus like a year of this person's hard work. Mm -hmm. And so surely other people in the company know that it wasn't all John and the boss. If, right, cuz John just got here. Right. John's a new guy and some random person sent out the email, so I wouldn't put too much weight on the email. I mean, the this the writer could talk to the person who wrote the email directly or maybe just talk to their boss and say, "Hey boss, does do people know that I worked on this? Like that email kind of affected me in this way?"
0: Right. Right, but not necessarily like write a follow-up email that's like, "Hey, Absolutely actually quick not. correction." I, Although I would, t- like, the petty part of me would want to, but I think you're right that it, it it's not necessary, but I would absolutely want to be like, John's never worked on this. I think a follow-up email is going to make him look worse. Oh, to- I, no, I totally agree with you. There's just the small petty part of my brain that would want to be like, it was me, you
1: fools, me. You would probably do it, I think.
0: No, I I think there is a version of me that might have long, long ago. But no, the the person I am now would not send that email. The person that I am now would forward that email to a lot of my friends with the subject line, can you believe this? Like a civilized person. right? Yeah. But yeah, I think that makes sense. Just talk to your boss. Just say like, hey, I I might be reading too much into this. This might have just been a slip of, of the keyboard. But... Uh, I noticed that the colleague seems to think that John's been working on this project, and I just wanted to check in with you. Um, is everything okay with my work? Like, are we good? And then your boss can hopefully just reassure you. Oh, nope, just an error. Um, everyone knows that you've been doing great work on this project, uh, and and that will make you feel a lot better. But yeah, you can, you know, let the let the rest of it go. I think. Yeah, you don't want to make it don't wanna make it worse, is what I think. Yeah, I'm sure John is embarrassed. Like, John knows he's never worked on that That's project. what I was
1: thinking, too, is I feel like the situation would probably be a little bit
0: embarrassing for John um, if he's the new guy. Yeah, I mean, if people started, like, saying that they loved my podcast from Slate, Mom and Dad are Fighting, I would feel super weird. I'd be like, oh, that's actually uh, uh not me. You are mistaken. You have me confused with someone else. Um and I would not <laughs> want to take credit for their hard work. Um, and, and also,
1: if John didn't do the project, it's not like that 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 credit to him is going to go anywhere. Right. It's just per- somebody. The person saying, who worked on it's going to get the credit. Right. You
0: know? Right. He's not going to get like your promotion because your boss forgot you did all that work.
1: Right. Like John's not getting a raise. Yeah. Suck it, John. This
0: or like, sorry, John's probably great. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure he is.
0: <laughs> so I, I feel like that's probably the most help we can offer that person. Would you please do us the honor of reading the second letter? Sure.
1: Subject is lack of a love life. Dear Prudence, I am a 52 year old single mom of a teenager with minor special needs. I'm pretty and only a smidge 10 to 20 pounds away from having my model figure back. I'm a therapist, intimidating, and have a friendly, outgoing personality. I had breast cancer, so one boob is a total mess due to multiple surgeries. I'm not thrilled about anyone seeing me naked now. I'm sick of being single. There are so few men available my age, and I have no idea how to find them. I've tried the internet, I can't deal with bars anymore, and all my friends have husbands. Amazingly, I end up with great guys for clients, but not possible dates. I don't know how to get my love life moving, and I don't want to spend the rest of my life alone. Help. Steal your friends' husbands.
0: Hmm. Right? Like, right there. All your friends have husbands. Take one.
1: Right. There's so much much drastic talk in this one that... I think my first advice would be to pull back a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, cl- you're sick of single, but being single, but you you clearly like have a good image of yourself. You find yourself attractive, and you're friendly, outgoing. But then there's this wild. There's so few men available, and how do you find them? And I've tried the whole internet, and um, those things just aren't true. Right uh, there, there aren't so few men available. There are so many men available. Um, Some would say too. And I think I think maybe this person is pushing a little too hard.
0: Right. I thought it was interesting. I I sometimes get letters like this one where somebody will kind of catalog all of their physical attributes as if to say, don't you agree that I objectively deserve a partner? Like, because I'm pretty and I've like uh, really specifically listed my weight and I have a good job, I have to get a partner like you should agree with me. And it's like, Kind of not like all kinds of people get partners and all kinds of people don't. So there's really no sort of universal like if I'm this attractive and this successful, I should have a partner. And it's crazy that I don't like that. It's not like a, an input program where you just like input several attributes on your end and then a computer punches out a partner on the other side. Like it's great that you have all those things, but those aren't reasons you deserve a husband. They're just right. Qualities right. about you um
1: yeah i think i think they're maybe missing the point um sometimes you have to let go for that thing to come back to you maybe and i kind of see that with this person
0: yeah and i think like you said earlier about trying the internet as if the internet is something you try once and it doesn't work out like the internet is a river it is different every time it is also enormous like the whole internet you tried the whole internet you tried everything like um And that's not to say that there aren't like pros and cons to internet dating or meeting somebody through like a platform like Twitter or Reddit or message boards or all the other various ways that people meet like minded people they're interested in online. But there's a lot of internet to try. And it's just people. like it's just people on the Internet. The Internet's not magic. It's not going to bring a better version of people to your door. It's just going to help you meet a lot of people in a shorter amount of time. And if what you're really interested in is is finding a guy to marry, then that's probably going to be helpful to you.
1: Yeah, and it it seems like. Um, If she's getting along with the guys at her therapy sessions, um, you know, maybe she's looking for something a little more authentic that starts with a conversation and not not the bar thing. Right. So I I would maybe suggest if she's going to use the internet again, um, she could try something like Mm meetup.com or a site that has like hobbies and activities where you find groups of people your age in your city and you go do that activity with them. Right. Right. And um. You know, something like that where she could actually go and get to know people because there are so many single people in their 50s and older. It's That's, you know, she's holding herself back, it sounds yeah. like.
0: Yeah, and, and I would just say you might be a great person and you might try really hard and you might not find a husband and... That's hard, and I'm sorry. Right, it's right. Also, like, it right. You it also should happen. accept yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's not to say, like, so just don't care about it, don't worry. Like, obviously, you'll care, but like, you should accept that as a possible thing that might happen to you. Um, because I think as long as you feel like this shouldn't be happening to me, you're going to get even more frustrated, um, and maybe then like kind of put off an energy of like frustration and entitlement that does not draw a lot of really great guys right. to you. Um, and it's yeah, not you're
1: I think not... accepting accepting where you're at. And then kind of letting go of that a little bit and it'll, it'll probably come right to her.
0: Right. And so, you know, don't steal your friends' husbands. Uh, don't date your clients, which I feel like was sort of implied. Not that you are on the verge of doing it, but you were sort of saying like, oh, man, if the only great guys I meet are my clients, what should I do? Even though that's totally unethical. Um maybe part of the reason you think that clients you have are such great guys is because you don't think of them as someone you can date so you're not bringing that same energy to it um and it might be helpful to you in the outside world to bring some of that like chill therapist energy uh to to your meetings but yeah i i i, I can't say like oh there's this one thing that's holding you back from finding a partner cuz everyone's really different and wants really different things so um, yeah, remote. and
1: I mean, everyone's got one boob now too. Like all these things are not so extreme. Like breast cancer is pretty common, yeah. and a woman in her fifties. I, I don't. I don't see too many problems with this woman. I think that she's just got to get get comfortable with herself, so that other people can be comfortable with her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and good luck. And it sounds like you've got a lot of other great things going on in your life besides dating. So um, it's not as if, you know, you don't have any sort of consolations or other interests that you can cultivate. Um, but good luck with everything. And the Internet is a very, very big place, I think, is probably my, my yeah, one. Yeah, go note. farther. It's a Yeah, it's a big Internet out there. You can find some weird stuff, which is wonderful. Speaking of weird stuff. The subject line of this next letter is faking a pet's death, which I think, yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten a letter about this before. This might be a new one. So <laughs> This is a pretty interesting situation. Yeah. yeah. Dear Prudence, my sister and brother-in-law had two untrained dogs that were hard to handle. I'm a professional dog trainer, and I gave them some advice and offered to help train their animals. A few months ago, my sister called and said that one of the dogs, Sam, had died. He was very young. I was very upset and sent them a sympathy card. Recently, I was talking to my brother-in-law's mother, and she told me that they had Sam, and he was doing fine. I was shocked. She clearly didn't know that I had been told he was dead. I didn't say anything then, but now I'm really angry and hurt that my sister would lie to me about this. I tried talking to my parents about what to do, but they don't believe me and want proof that it's the same dog. He has very distinct markings and the same name. I want validation from my parents that I'm right, And for my sister to admit Sam is not dead. I know I can't force other people to do what I want. So how do I handle my anger towards my family over this? How do I get over something that I may never get an apology for?
1: Oh, so weird. Yeah, I I mean, first things first, can the sister talk? Like, can the sisters talk to each other?
0: Right, you're talking to everyone's parents.
1: I mean, the brother-in-law's parents. I don't even know my siblings, in-laws, parents' names. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe a couple of them. I have to say that, I guess. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I would
0: absolutely talk to your sister first. Yeah. And you don't even have to like demand an apology. You can just literally say, I had a really weird conversation with your in-laws yesterday. Uh, I know you <laughs> yeah. told me Sam died a couple of months ago. She told me that Sam's not dead, but is living with them. Do you know what she's talking about? Like
1: let her Right, like I twist. think that's that conversation is it should definitely be had.
0: Yeah, and you can just like ask the question and then wait cuz she's going to either have to come up with a really weird lie or admit what happened and you can get more information. You can say like why would like do you think the sister was worried that the letter writer would judge her for rehoming a dog? Like I don't I'm get not that sure. I mean, from this I, don't, I, I don't know much about the sister. Yeah. No, I, I am like totally. I think your sister's the only person who has this information. Like, I wouldn't worry so much about getting your parents validation. I wouldn't worry so much about anybody else. I would just call my sister and say, like, I'm so confused. Can you explain this to me? And yeah. Yeah.
1: And then if the sister lies to her straight to her face, then she can make some decisions about how to handle it. Or it'll be, you know, an awkward truth-telling situation.
0: Yeah, and then you can just say, like, I'm really upset that you lied to me about that. Like, let's talk about that. You're absolutely allowed to be upset and to say that. um, But I think this is a conversation you can only have with your sister. And uh, the getting over it thing, don't, like, rush it. Like, what she did was weird and deceitful and strange and kind of mean. Like, it's just sad to tell someone that an animal they've cared about is dead when they're not. I've just... This is so far beyond like the usual parent saying, like, oh, we took like Smitty to a farm upstate and he's doing great there. Like, this is so weird. Yeah, I know. Who is this dog? Who are these people? Um Yeah,
1: so gotta talk to the sister. And then the I mean, the last question is is a is just a big question in general. How do I get over something I'll never get an apology for? Um, if you want to, you will, I think.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I never want to get over anything, so I never do. So your story checks out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe having more information will be helpful to you. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will take time. Um, Maybe you guys will have a fight about this, and maybe she'll apologize, and maybe she won't. But um, you don't need to rush it. You don't need to say, like, it's fine, like, the next day. Like, you can take a little time. And you're allowed to just say, like, that was a really weird hurtful thing my sister did and it'll take me a while um and and kind of let it go from there like you can move on from that um but you're i think you're kind of like rushing to how do i get over this when the next thing you need to do is not get over it but talk to your sister like before figure out what happened exactly exactly and then please write us back and let us know why she did that because i am so confused and like, if Sam's get away alive, with
1: it? you know, we're all we, we're all happy that he's alive, albeit strange circumstance. But, you know, go Sam.
0: Yeah. But that's the other thing is, like, how did she think she was going to get away with this? Like, she didn't give the dog away to somebody on the other side of the country. She gave the dog away to someone who apparently her sister talks to semi-regularly and is like right. a part of their extended family. Like, this was just a dumb, dumb strategy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My only thought was like, well, maybe maybe the, the writer is a little overbearing and the sister was like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to give the dog away and I don't want her to ask too many questions. So I'll just lie about it. I don't know. I really can't come up with why this happened.
0: Yeah, I didn't really get a vibe from the letter writer of being like hyper judgmental. although I realize I only have one letter to go on. But yeah, whatever. This definitely sounds like something she did kind of panicked and like not really thinking clearly about how she was going to pull this off. So I guess the upside is your sister's not a very good liar. And that's nice, because you'll always know when she's lying to you. Yeah. Uh, Man, okay. So, yeah, please, please write us a follow-up once you find out why she did that. And in the meantime, uh, Jamie, would you read this next letter?
1: Sure. How much do I have to disclose about mental health at work? I've seen a therapist on and off for a couple years. I had a particularly bad reaction to a new form of birth control this past year and ended up depressed and ill. Although I'm doing much better now, I recently went off my medication. This was supported by my doctors. So continuing therapy was crucial. When I first started my current job eight months ago, I had nighttime appointments with her. Due to some scheduling issues, I had to move that to during the workday. I have a pretty flexible job, so I figured it would be fine. At this point, I basically say I have a doctor's appointment one or two Tuesdays a month and work from home those days. And this has been going on for six months. I thought it was fine and that no one even noticed, but my manager asked me about it today. He made it clear I wasn't in trouble, but he joked that he figured either I was interviewing in the least subtle way possible or there is something health-related going on. I told him that it was in fact a recurring appointment due to some health problems last summer, which will likely be tapering off soon, which is all technically true, and he seemed fine with that. Should I be handling this differently? I love my job and really don't want them to think I'm interviewing, even though I know he just made a joke. But seeing this therapist has gotten me out of one of the hardest times of my life, life. I likely won't be in therapy much longer, but I want to make sure I handle this correctly.
0: So my answer to this one is really short. I think you handled it beautifully, letter writer. I completely agree. Oh, damn it! We should fight about this more. Uh, I mean,
1: I I mean I I think that that the letter writer did the right thing, has done the right thing all along, and I mean. Who thinks that you're interviewing at the same time every Tuesday,
0: right? like that's like, kind of paranoid
1: yeah, don't there's no reason to make your mental situation any you know more stressful than it may be, so I would say you know you talk to the boss, that's great, he knows it's health related, sounds like everything's going really well, so. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it too much.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Your answer was totally appropriate. Um, it was true. Uh, it it didn't, like, disclose more than you felt comfortable with. Your boss is clearly happy with it. I think maybe you're being a little, like, uh, overly self-critical because you feel maybe a little um, sensitive about it because mental health can be, like, a really sensitive issue. And I totally get that. But I think you said everything you needed to. You made it really clear. Um I once had a good friend who worked at a place that was not so great, and their boss knew that they had a standing weekly appointment to see a therapist for, like, pretty significant mental health. Like, it was just important that they go. Um, And then one day when the person had to leave work, their boss demanded that they stop and explain to everyone why they had to leave the meeting. Um, and tell everyone why they were in therapy. That friend is no longer at that job. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> thank goodness. But, like, it was such a, like, when they told me about it, I could I could hardly believe it that somebody would do that, like, put them on the spot like that. Um, no, I mean, that's just, you can't do that. I no. mean,
1: I mean they mental health they is, did, one, like, I mean, you can't you can't
0: ask those questions. I mean, that's just, to, that's totally inappropriate. Totally, yeah. And and obviously, like, it, luckily, it sounds like this letter writer is in a much better uh, work environment than that, but people can get really weird and invasive and personal when they hear about somebody else's like medication or therapy or anything having to do with mental health. And you don't owe other people an explanation if you are like taking care of your own well being.
1: Yeah, and I think if they were if they're really worried about it, they I would suggest go to HR and just tell them your situation. So that, that way, if the, you know the boss is poking around, and you have some type of like confidential backup, like this person has a legitimate thing they need to do every Tuesday, so back off,
0: right? But but I don't I don't they're think they're the right there thing. yet, honestly, and and I don't think that they're that that's something necessary. I don't know. I, I tend to feel like HR doesn't do much to help employees, but I always welcome hearing from people who have had a situation where HR helped them because I feel like I'm always a little down on it. Like, you know, it's I think it's I think it's probably hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think probably mostly missed, but mostly maybe HR sometime. is there to help protect the company. And there right. are occasionally things where like certain protected classes or things that would fall under like we might get sued. I can understand why telling HR is helpful. But I think a lot of times we think if I have a problem with someone else at work or I don't know how to handle an issue with my boss, HR are the people who will help me like settle conflicts. And that's just not what they do. They are not there to help make your job easier. They are there to make sure the company does not get sued for a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next letter is the kind of question I love, which is just, is this relationship healthy? So you and I (laughs) just get to decide if this person's in a healthy relationship or not. And if you and I are split, then we're going to call in Audrey and she's going to give us the tie-breaking vote. And so we'll be able to tell them if they're healthy or not. Are you excited? Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) We are the deciders. So, dear Prudence. Most advice I read says that jealousy and insecurity in relationships is unhealthy, even abusive. My boyfriend and I have been together for two and a half years, and we live together. We were both cheated on by our ex-spouses, and both of us have major trust issues. The way we've handled this is to give each other access to each other's email, social media, and phones. We also don't have close friends of the opposite sex that we hang out with regularly, and both of us have made it clear that we would be hurt if the other went to lunch or went hiking with someone of the opposite sex. This seems to work for both of us. I used to have some guy friends I would hang out with before this relationship, but my boyfriend and I both work. We each have a child, and mine lives with me full-time, and we're generally too busy to hang out with friends of any gender, much anyway, so I don't feel like I'm missing out on not getting to hang out with these guys anymore. I think we're both a little bit codependent, But after getting out of a marriage to a drug addict who cheated on me and flirted with other women, I'm really happy with the way things are. I don't think it's a bad thing that neither of us feels insecure or threatened. But am I wrong? Is this unhealthy? (sighs) This is, by the way, such a solution that only works in a heterosexual couple. Because, like it's it gets so much more difficult like if one or both partners are bisexual or right. if both of you are gay yeah, it's like yeah. then it like like if if you and I when we were dating if we'd had a rule that like like that neither one of us could either hang out with men or women like how would that have worked it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work <laughs> no no i thank you very much by the way retroactively for not imposing that rule
1: yeah no i like other people
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't think either one of us would be ex- exceptionally happy in this relationship. But like, yeah, is it is it wrong that this is what works for them? Should they stop? What do you think?
1: Well, I I think the biggest thing is, is that they've both succumbed to fear in this situation. Mm-hmm. And instead of embracing uh, what good could come of having a trusting relationship, they've completely just bowed down to this insecurity and... Um, have taken trust completely away from each other, and um, it it seems like it works because they're both doing it. But I don't think it's a good decision. I don't think it's healthy. It it sounds like it might be better than where this person has been in mm-hmm. the past.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that's like a thumbs up. But no, I don't. I don't think succumbing to that is good. I think having a, a trusting relationship is is a much more beneficial thing for that
0: couple. Yeah, and I'm wondering like. Are there ways they can take small steps together to move in a different direction? Because I don't know that the goal needs to be you should both have eight best friends of the opposite sex, each more attractive than the last that you regularly, like, hike Mount Kilimanjaro with. I'm not saying you guys have to become totally different people or unless you have at least, like, three male friends for the girl and three female friends for the guy, you're bad. But, like... Uh, you know, hopefully the fact that previous partners cheated on you will not be what dictates your future relationship forever, right? Like there's that saying, generals are always fighting the last war. And I think a lot of us in dating are in our last relationship. We're thinking about, well, the last person I dated did this and I hated it. So if it comes up right. again here, I'm really going to flip out. So, you know, the fact that you guys have access to one another's email and social media and phones... That's a lot of transparency. And I'm kind of curious, are you guys both, like, checking up on each other on the daily? Yeah,
1: I was wondering that, too. Like, do they spend time each night, like, reading each other's emails
0: and text messages and stuff? Yeah, that That sounds sounds so horrible to me. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. So, depending on, like, maybe it's more just a comfort thing. Like, maybe you don't actually check very often, but just knowing that you can is helpful. Um, But, yeah, I would say, like, where are you guys at right now? And how could you start to, like bring it back down, right? Because like clearly you both want to act honorably towards each other. Neither of you wants to cheat on the other. Neither of you, neither one of you wants to give the other reason to be suspicious. So with that kind of right. baseline in mind and the fact that you've been together for a couple of years and it seems to be going really well, um, maybe start tapering down. Like if you're checking their social media account like once a day, try and like, say this to each other. Say like my goal is to continue to trust you. And my goal is to not feel the sort of compulsive need to check up on you to make sure you're still trustworthy. Because I've known you now for a couple of years. We live together. I know you care about me and that you're honest. Um, and and to just, like, again, I, that does not mean that, like, as of tomorrow, you guys have to, like, block each other out of each other's accounts and go make new best friends right. at all. But, like, yeah, taper right. I down. mean, I think that she
1: knows based on, you know, she says herself, Um, I think we're both a little codependent. We both have major trust issues. Like, those are things that you need to take outside of your relationship and look at and say, I have trust issues. I'm codependent. And those are things that you would want to correct in yourself. You would want to get better. And I think it's kind of cool that they're both on the same level, it seems like, with that. So maybe together they can achieve that.
0: Right. Yeah, I I agree with you because I think... Yeah, it's it's convenient that your guys's particular like dysfunctions happen to match up, but I think it's also really good in general to like ask yourself periodically, okay, I have this like maladaptive coping strategy. It's something bad that happened to me a long time ago. And it protected me, and that's good and useful. But I'm safer now than I was. That's that's not likely to happen again. Do I still need this in my life? And if I want to start, like, putting down that particular defense, how could I go about doing that? Because that would be good for you. Not not because you guys need to suddenly, like, go clubbing with super attractive people and try to make each other jealous or anything like that. Right. But just to say, like, I'm safe. I'm not with that last partner who cheated on me. I, I don't have to let that be what dictates how I act now. So it's fine that you don't have a lot of close friends of the opposite sex, Um, But I think, you know, kind of ask yourself, like, what would hurt me about the idea of my boyfriend having lunch with a woman? Is it the one-on-one aspect of it? Because, like, he probably sees women at his office and has friendly conversations with them. And you probably do the same thing with men. Is it the idea of them developing a friendship that was independent from you? Because, like, maybe you guys could become friends with other people more as a couple. Like, what's, what's the thing that brings up the most fear for you? And try to face that, I think, whether that's in therapy or as a couple or both or just on your own. Like, it's worth asking, what am I so afraid of? And do I really think he's going to hurt me?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think therapy, you know, that should be thrown in as well. If that's not part of the relationship, it sounds like she's aware of these issues. And I think therapy would probably be great for uh, the both of them. Right. So,
0: yeah, I, I think there's a lot of room to, like, move towards more peace and security and trust. Um, but you don't have to do it overnight. You're not bad people. Like, there are reasons that you guys act the way that you do. Uh, but I think it would also be really good to move away from some of those things just because they're not necessary now. Um, and I think the fact that you're aware that you're a little codependent, that you're both aware of some of your trust issues, that's a good foundation for change. Um, but yeah, I think you guys can start to let go of some of this stuff and and good luck. So did we disagree on that? I don't think so. Not enough, unfortunately. But I do. <laughs> by the way, if there are any couples where like both partners are bisexual and they have tried to implement a rule like this, where just no one's allowed to have any friends. Um, I would love to hear from you. I don't think that such a couple. Exists, I mean, but. I mean, you know, my first relationship
1: that that secret one in college was mm-hmm. I was getting pretty close there. That's
0: right. Yeah, that was. But that was uh, not the healthiest maybe
1: no no it's cause that's why i know that that's why i know the answer to this one
0: <laughs> yeah and i think it also didn't help that it was a secret relationship um that you weren't allowed to tell anyone about yeah different context but same jealousy which by the way listeners that was not me uh just to throw that one out there i did not i, I have never made anyone be in a secret relationship with me no 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 not mallory <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for that credit So, back to family dynamics, back to siblings, back to sisters. This next letter is all about sisterly expectations. Uh, Jamie, would you please read this one?
1: Subject, not your babysitter. My sister and I took different paths in life. She got pregnant at 20, dropped out of school, and proceeded to have a baby every two years with her husband. I got my PhD. I work 70-hour weeks. Vacation to me is poolside with a drink in hand and a bad romance in the other. My sister overschedules everything. I pay for the family vacation. Our folks, the kids, basically everyone. I might join one outing or the other, but dinner is enough bonding time for me. I have always bowed out of my sister's plans and stayed poolside. My older nieces didn't find the family chaos fun, so I watched them while they read books and streamed anime in peace. This summer, my sister announced I would be watching my severely disabled nephew during the family trip since I wasn't doing anything. My nephew requires constant supervision, unless you want to find feces decorating the wall. One day might be okay, but not two weeks. My sister is the master of martyr mode and the holy conveyor of grandchildren. My question is, how do I get out of this without blowing up my family dynamics? I want to see my family, but I don't want to pay to play nursemaid. Honest conversation does not happen in my family. I need a way to keep the lines open, if only for nieces,
0: when and if they jump ship. You know, Letter Writer, I do want to give you some credit for a little bit of martyr mode. Like, your sister might be the master of it, but you're doing <laughs> all right for
1: yourself. I was th- I was thinking the same thing. It sounds like we have a, a, a martyr family
0: here. Yeah, everyone's kind of competing for the biggest, uh, the biggest crown of thorns. Yeah. Because it's sort of, it's always tough to get a letter where they say, here's my problem. By the way, I can't talk to anyone about it. I can't do this, this, or this because of my family. So it's sort of like... I've already thought about the possible solutions to this and I've decided they're impossible, which is like a little martyrish, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think this person maybe does have options. I mean, so first of all, their basic question is like, how do I not do this without having an honest conversation? Do you think that's possible? I mean, if honest conversation is
1: not possible in this family, then I think this person needs to just take care of themselves.
0: Yeah, because they're paying for everyone to go on a family vacation every year. That's a lot of money. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean,
1: don't go. Like, if 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 it's gonna mean cleaning up like shit on the walls, like, don't go on this vacation. I would say that. um, And maybe that will open a conversation because you know you got to take care of yourself first and foremost, and that's not what you want. I wouldn't want to spend two weeks doing that.
0: No, and there's kind of this. You know, you can feel there's obviously a lot of dynamics going on, right? And like the read I get from this letter is the letter writer feels like they have accomplished more than their sister, um, but they don't get any of the same recognition because they haven't had children. Um, And so they're kind of trying to make up for that in other ways by like, look, I'm paying for everyone to go on vacation. Aren't you grateful like aren't i the best Mm -hmm. and because they're not responding with gratitude because they're responding with entitlement there's even more frustration until we're almost at a boiling point and that's usually a recipe for like a big family blow up in the bahamas or wherever your vacation is that kind of goes down in history is like oh man remember that vacation we took in 2017 where shit really went down um so you're you're clearly yeah it sounds like if they don't if they don't
1: have some kind of conversation it is going to blow up like that yeah and
0: so you know Ask yourself, like, do I want to continue taking my vacations with my family when it sounds like I kind of don't enjoy actually the part of the vacation where I spend time with them? Like, I don't think you owe your family an all-expenses-paid vacation every year. I think sometimes when people start doing something for somebody else, they once they've done it a couple times in a row, there's this sort of expectation of, okay, now you do this forever, um, because mm-hmm. you started instead of, wow, that was really cool that you did that for a couple of years. Thank you. It was awesome. Um, And yeah. that can be really frustrating for the giver who thinks like, oh, I, I'm not doing this for recognition. But when they get nothing in return, they're like, okay, actually, I did want <laughs> something in return. because right. This is not working. So like, no, maybe you and your sister are not going to have a sit down heart to heart where you talk about the different paths your lives have taken and the ways in which the both of you might look down on the other. Um, but you letter writer you work 70 hour weeks you got a phd you sound accomplished i bet you've been able to say no to things in your professional life you get to say no to your family um you get to say to your sister i'm not available to babysit your son while we're on vacation you don't have to say anything beyond that and she might come back at you with a lot of reasons why you should and you don't have to worry about those you just get to say i'm not going to do that and right right and that's i mean you can do that you can do that as an adult yeah um You can say, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you're not qualified. It sounds like you're not qualified. It sounds like he needs a really high level of engagement that you're not able and prepared to give. Um, And the fact that your sister made this announcement on your behalf puts you in a pretty clear-cut situation where you can just say, actually, I can't. Um, And then you also get to think through, like, are these vacations still working for me? Do I still want to send my sister and the rest of our family on an all-expenses-paid vacation every year? Or would I like to travel somewhere myself where I can read a romance novel alone? Um, Right, yeah. And, I mean, if it's
1: about the nieces, you know, keeping the lines open when and if they jump ship— well, you know, wait, you could, I don't know how old the nieces are, but if, if they want to jump ship, it,
0: they're going to, they'll hit you up. We got the internet, yeah. phones. Yeah. If the like only way you can keep in touch with your nieces is by paying for your entire family to go on vacation, you know. <laughs> that's right? a lot. That asks a lot right. of you and it's clearly not working. Yeah, and if
1: she's paying for the vacations already, they're probably going to be hitting her up, so, yeah. I mean...
0: Yeah, your your nieces, believe me, they they know you are the cool, rich aunt. They're not going to forget Got you. Got it, yeah. Um, so, I, I think, like, even though this vacation is already paid for, if the conversation goes badly and you need to say, I'm actually not going to be able to make it, and, like, go hang out at a pool near your house for a couple of weeks, I'd realize that's not an ideal situation, but you can do it. Like, you can set a hard limit, and you can start doing things differently, Um. and you know, there are.
1: Absolutely. And I, I don't even think it's a hard limit. Like to me, this situation is, it sounds really clear. Like, no, I'm not doing that on my vacation. I didn't choose to have a hundred ki- children, you know, like I'm, I don't
0: want to do any of that. I just want to point out if so, she had had a hundred children at the rate of every two years, she would be over 200 years old.
1: You know, that's just the picture I get from this. It sounds like the holy conveyor of grandchildren. Right. There's a lot
0: going on over there. Yeah, this, this runs deep, right? This is not just about looking after. I don't know how many kids are over there, Mallory. <laughs> Not, none of us do. It's <laughs> Schrodinger's children. Um, who's to say? Yeah. But this is, this is not something you need to worry about. This is like, it's, it's not going to go well. I could probably promise you that. Um, this is probably going to be a conversation where if you say no, your sister is going to reveal just how not grateful she's been for your financial generosity. She's going to reveal just how little she thinks of your life choices and how much, uh, she thinks you owe her this because you don't have children. So your life is really easy compared to hers. Um, I think it's probably going to get a little ugly. And your job is going to be to not get ugly back and just to, like, you know, reaffirm your limit. Just say, I'm not going to do that. And to decide, do I want to go on this vacation? Does it sound like fun to me? Because vacations should be fun. At least a little. At least a tiny bit fun. Um, And if you don't go, that's okay. Like, you'll be all right. You might blow up your family dynamics for a little while. That's all right. It might be like one missed. It might be like one missed
1: vacation, mm-hmm.
0: and it might even be you might just say no, and your sister gets mad, but you just get to hold the line, and you go on the trip anyways, and you hang out by the pool. Um, yeah, like, I'm not even saying you have to like go nuclear and stay home. Like, but say no, say no, and if it blows up, it will settle down. This will not be fatal um but you got to do it you absolutely got to do it uh, if for no other reason than i think things are already so close to a breaking point that if you did try to look after your nephew for 2 weeks something really bad would happen like you would you would break down or or just like lose the ability to to take care of both him and yourself and things would get really ugly and i don't want that for you guys Jamie would you do us the honor of reading this very last letter
1: yes i will all right My older brother died just before he left for college. His death shattered my parents' already fracturing marriage. My dad left and my mother got remarried within six months to a guy she met in her support group. He was a nice guy and had a son my age, Jonas. I only survived my last two years of high school because of him. We both were isolated and grieving. His mom was unbalanced and we basically bonded. During that time, I called him my stepbrother. Flash forward 12 years, we have survived college, numerous breakups, and our parents divorcing. Jonas hasn't technically been my stepbrother for two years, but we still refer to each other as family. He is my confidant and best friend, and last week he kissed me, and I kissed him back. This is new and exciting and terrifying to me. I am attracted to him, and I can honestly say I love him, but I have a bone-deep terror of screwing this up and losing him, not to mention what we are going to tell everyone, especially our parents. I know Jonas is scared, too, and we haven't really talked about the kisses. What do we do?
0: Wait, I need so many more details. What happened when you guys were kissing? What were you talking about? Like, where were you? Uh, What happened? I need more information. I I don't need more information. You're good?
1: You're ready to go? (laughs) Well, I feel like they went through some, like, crazy stuff together, and so they've got some, like, twisted-up emotions. And I'm not saying, like— no, this is not a thing you can have, but like it's definitely something I think that should start with with some pretty severe therapy,
0: right? Yeah, um, I, just because always of how good. it all
1: started—the brother it was the brother's death, the parents' divorce, you know, end of high school. The whole thing seems like there's so much wrapped up into this situation. Besides just pure, like he was my stepbrother, and we happen to be attracted to each other. Like, there's a lot here for sure. Um,
0: and, and I do want to say, I think. Like, in general, it is good not to try to date or sleep with somebody who's a part of your family in a significant, ongoing way. Not just because, like, objectively, I think incest is squeaky, but also because it adds a really difficult element into a relationship that's generally supposed to be lifelong. Because the potential for it going wrong are so bad. Like, Jonas is a sibling to you in a lot of ways. Like, I know you met, it sounds like you were about 16 when you met. It's not like you guys grew up together. You only lived in the same house for maybe a couple of years. Um, So I, I understand this is not the same situation as, like, somebody you were raised with where it would be a lot more, like, shocking and upsetting for people to find out. Like, I understand ways in which in some ways, you guys were young adults who were thrown together, um, and now you're no longer, uh, you know, related through marriage. Um, but, like, you've also known him since you were a teenager. Um, your parents were married for a decade in in a lot of ways, even though your parents are no longer together and you're not necessarily going to run into each other at a family reunion. Um the sort of un- the the way the world understands your guys' relationship is, oh, you're step-siblings and you're close and you're, you're going to see one another often. And if you guys date and it doesn't work out, uh, and most dating relationships don't work out until one does, um, the potential fallout here would be really sad. So I think, you know, I don't often tell people to be ruled by fear, but if you're afraid of screwing this up and losing him— then I think you should put that as a point in the category of yeah. don't kiss Jonas again. Um,
1: yeah, I think that's the most important thing here is that, like, you you love him on a level of you don't want to lose him. And, um, yeah, if this goes further, it's there's a much higher chance of that happening, I think.
0: Right, especially because, like, you guys are both in your, what, like, late 20s, early 30s, and you kissed a week ago? And you haven't talked about it yet. And I I do understand part of that might be because this feels really confusing and really intense and really big. But it's also, you know, that's not great. Like you guys should, you know, I I think there are a lot of situations where we wish we didn't have to talk about it. But that kind of means we do. Like this is a situation that's so complicated. It would require varsity level talking. Yeah. uh, Yeah. A lot of it as well. You're going to have to letter in talking. Um, And so the fact that you guys haven't been able to do that is not a great sign for a potential romantic future together. But like putting that aside, what do I do right now? Go see a therapist. This is a lot. This is a lot, even if you've, you, know, you may have, you know, you were already, it sounds like your mom was in a support group. I'm sure you saw a therapist at some point dealing with your brother's death. But like, go back, especially because you've got this big thing on the horizon. Go back and specifically say, I want to talk to you, therapist, about my step, my ex-step sibling, Jonas, who I recently kissed. And I promise you, you're to be <laughs> like, wow, that's big. Yes, let's do address that. And that will be helpful to you. Um, and talk to Jonas and talk about, you know, why did you kiss me? Um what were you thinking? What am I thinking? What are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? Um what do we think that it means? Um do we think it's a good idea? Do we think there's a good basis for a relationship here and to really pay attention to your doubts and concerns because there's going to be a lot. And um you two may decide that it is better to acknowledge that you did experience an attraction to one another but that any romantic relationship has the potential to ruin the sibling relationship that you have and isn't worth it? You guys might decide to to go for it. And I, I don't know that that would be a great idea, but it would be definitely better to do that after a lot of talking with the sort of understanding of this has the potential to go really, really pear-shaped. Um, whatever yeah. you do, you got to call. You say we haven't really talked about it. What do we do? Talk about it right now. Give Jonas a call. Um, maybe yeah, maybe I call agree. the therapist first, but you you have to talk about it because pretty much no great lifelong romance starts with... Twelve years after our parents got married, my stepbrother and I kissed. We kind of never talked about it, and everything just sort of worked out. <laughs> I like, I promise you that's not going to be how it goes. yeah, yeah, good luck, and ah, just, I just I just really want to put a, a vote in for the category of "Don't date each other." I mean, that's that's definitely
1: my vote too, um or at least give it a decade. Like, yeah. I'm at, like, no dating, or you need to give this, like, a decade or two, like, right. 20 really years, maybe. give it a when, try when you,
0: with somebody else. When you no
1: longer call each other family, like, because that line, that line right there is kind of the answer. Like, we still refer to each other as family. Right. And that's where it's, like, crossing that, like, you're not weird step-siblings, you're family. Right. Um, yeah, so if you, see a therapist and talk you to each other. If you want to keep
0: someone as a part of your family, you probably shouldn't date them, I think, is a good rule, in general speaking. Um But good luck, and talk a lot to that therapist. Talk a lot to Jonas. Um, Talk, talk more than you want to. Talk too much. Talk all the time. This is a problem that requires a lot of talking to specific people. Maybe don't bring this up with your mother yet. Um, Like that's uh, because you mentioned too. Like I'm worried what we're going to tell everyone, especially our parents. Like you're already thinking of how are we going to talk to our parents about this, but you haven't talked to each other. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. I'm worried for you. Good luck. Please update us. Uh, even even more than the one with the pretend dead dog, I need an update. Yeah, I
1: on really site. want an update on this one for sure. If we ever get crazy. updates on
0: either of these, I will bring you back on the show and we will All just right, please celebrate. Do. Jamie, we did it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you to
1: Toby as well. He's been snoring the whole time. I hope it didn't pick up any in the
0: recording. I wish that it had because I love the sound of Toby snoring, um, <laughs> but it, it didn't. It didn't at all. Um, do you think Toby has any advice or, or wisdom that we can all learn from before we let you guys go? Oh, you know, Toby's a scavenger, so he would
1: say, keep yourself alive, you know, eat And keep yourself alive out there. That's what Toby's advice would be.
0: Toby is so practical and yet so wise at the same time. And I really appreciate that. (laughs) So keep moving, feed yourself, keep yourself alive, Jamie, and come back on the show sometime. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. I want to thank all those listeners out there for going on this wild ride uh, with Jamie and Toby and myself keep moving, keep eating. Whenever the universe grants you the opportunity to not date one of your step-siblings or former step-siblings, take it. Seize that opportunity. Err on the side of not dating people whose parents married your parents. I think that that is just a good uh, North Star to be guided by. And so with that, I release you all until next week. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. To make sure you never miss an episode of this show, head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. While you're there, why not check out another great Slate show, The Gist? It's a daily podcast about news, culture, and whatever else you're most likely talking about with your family and friends. Hosted by Mike Pesco. Check it out.